<clears throat> not really necessarily part two, but we'll call it that. Uh, it's actually just a continuation of the message from this morning. In fact, uh, this morning we shared with you um, at the end of the message, the fourth point in the outline was the expectation. All right. What was the expectation? I got to see if I did a good job this morning. What is the expectation? What is the overall message of Matthew chapter 28? Yeah, Matthew 28. Oh, wow. I didn't do a good job this morning. Okay. You're all watching your windshield wipers go back and forth while you fell asleep, I take it, or something. In fact, yes, believe. All right. That is the expectation. If you wanted to say, what is the message of Matthew chapter 28? What is the message you get? Well, we serve a risen Savior. Believe in him. As the Bible says, believe uh, on him and put your faith and trust in him. Now, sometimes I found that when I dig into a passage and I get the main thrust of it, I, there, there's two things actually that can happen. First of all, sometimes you can get so majored on the minors that you, you forget the main message and you don't preach the main message because you're trying to deal with some technical issue that everyone has a question about and you want to answer. And you spend all your time doing that, and sometimes you miss the main message in a passage. And sometimes, uh, because of issues and questions and problems, the main message is missed. But there's another problem sometimes. Sometimes we get the main message, and we miss a lot of wonderful fruit that's available for us from passage when we, we get the message, yes, I believe Christ is risen. What a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful Savior. But yet we can miss so many other things that are found in a passage uh, that, that though the truth is a wonderful truth to glean, the main point is yet there are things to be learned. And I was challenged as I read through Matthew 28 to look at the fact that, yes, the message is belief. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I, I mean, if, if there's anything to learn from Matthew 28, we serve him as a Savior, believe in him, and uh, believe in him for all of life. But there's more to it. And so it's my prayer that uh, God will just stir us tonight about the more to it, okay? And uh, the, the, the great, wonderful truths that are found in, uh, in this chapter, even toward the beginning and then primarily as we look toward somewhat the end of chapter 28. Follow along. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, if you would, just to remind you again that we serve a risen Savior, and then hopefully you'll start to see some of the other truths that are important for Christians to know. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came 
and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, <coughs> and there shall they see me. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. By the way, if you don't understand the whole idea behind that, he's a soldier would have been killed if they didn't fulfill their their job, their responsibility. And so if word came back to the governor that they had let they had let a dead man <laughs> he would slip away, uh, they would have been uh, their lives would have been for his his life and for for the failure. So that's why, uh, by the way, so they were not they were going to protect these people from being killed by the governor. All right, that was free. Just wanted you to know that. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And that is how Matthew ends uh, this wonderful gospel message. Sometimes easy to miss, isn't it? That the Great Commission is found right after the resurrection. But it is. You read through the gospel accounts. Mark does the same thing. We get right to the, the resurrection. One of the first things Jesus Christ tells them is, I've got a great commission for you now. I've got a job for you to do. In the, the book of Luke, the book of John, uh, although we don't see exactly the great commission, yet we see the commands and instructions given immediately after Jesus is risen from the dead. We've got a job to do. So let's pray and ask God to help us now as we look into this uh, wonderful chapter and see more in it. Father, thank you for the uh, privilege to be here today. Thank you for um, the powerful message of Matthew 28. We serve a risen Savior. And um, Lord, you are a wonderful Savior. And this evening, we need your presence here. We need your power. We need your understanding. And I pray that you just open our eyes to see other truths from Matthew 28 that we need for our lives today. And uh, please stir us and touch our hearts with the wonderful truth that we find here. And I will thank you for it. Need your wisdom, need your help tonight, just as we did this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob Shazer, I think was his name. He was one of Jimmy Doolittle's raiders. You ever hear of that before? Uh, he was involved in a bombing attack on Japan in April of 1942. Jacob was an atheist. Didn't believe in God at all in any way, shape, or form. Well, during the attack, his plane was hit, and he ended up having to bail out for his life. He was captured imprisoned, and he thought his life was about over. In fact, 
Two of his companions were shot by a firing squad almost immediately. Another uh, died of slow starvation. And he observed and saw these things going on. And he thought, uh, really, his life was on the line. And it was over pretty much for him. During the months of imprisonment, he pondered why the Japanese hated him and why he hated them. And strangely, one of the things that came to his mind uh, and one of the, the things that came to him and his musing about this situation uh, was Christianity. Uh, he started to think that one of the reasons why there was such animosity was because of what we believe. And so uh, that musing led him to ask his jailers if they could get him a Bible. Well, they laughed at him. Uh, you know, can, can I have a Bible? Here's a guy, by the way, who doesn't even believe in God. And yet he asked his, his uh, uh, captors if he can get, they can get him a Bible. So they laughed. They warned him to stop making a nuisance of himself, but he kept asking. And you know, it took a year and a half before he finally got a Bible. The guard brought it to him, flung it at him, and he said, three weeks you'll have, three weeks, then I take away. True to his word, three weeks later, the guard took the Bible away. Deshazer never saw it again. But in those three weeks, he poured over the word of God day and night as much as he could possibly endure. He meditated, he pondered on the meaning of life and life after death. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ in a prison cell uh, as one who had no idea he would be able to continue life. Later, he was released from Japanese captivity. It's now 1948. Six years after his capture and imprisonment, and DeShazer and his wife and son were on their way back to Japan as missionaries, ready to carry the gospel to these people. You say, why? Because an atheist asked for a Bible, a Japanese guard gave it to him for three weeks, and he opened God's word and found the truth. And he believed God's word. That is the message we've already said that we can glean from Matthew chapter 28 and all the Gospels that record the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really is a powerful message to believe on Jesus Christ. But that is not the only message to be learned. So this evening, Roman numeral 5, if you took notes this morning and you got the first four E's, I'm not going to give them again because if you didn't get them, Sorry, uh, you can ask me about them later. But tonight, I want to look at the exhortation. Because, as we've said, there's far more to this resurrection passage than a message for people to believe or have faith in God. And sometimes, as I've just mentioned, it's easy to get the basic message but miss the rich truth. So, let's look at this chapter that we've just read. And let's dig in a little bit and let's see some of the exhortations. Uh, there are six W's which are going to express the exhortation that we have as believers or we can glean from Matthew chapter 28. The first W is word or the word of God. Now, we've already mentioned the fact 
And we've brought out the fact in verse 6, when the angel talked with these people and when he shared with them the wonderful truth, these ladies, that he's risen from the dead. He made that little statement, and that statement is very important because they had a problem believing, didn't they? We just read that in verse 17, didn't we? It says, they, some worship, but some doubted. And you remember doubting Thomas. We read about him quite a bit, actually, in John chapter 20, I believe it is, or at least right around the last chapter of the book of John, where he said, except I put my, my finger in the nail prints, you know, and I can thrust my hand in the side, I won't believe. And they had a problem with that. But what we learn in this passage is that God took the time, Jesus Christ took the time as he started to talk with these people, and so did the angel to say, God's word is true. Now, it's comforting to know that truth. And that is, by the way, upon which our faith is to be based, upon the word of God. But let's mention the fact that Christians need to do that on a daily basis. We need to believe what God has said. God's word needs to be our authority, our guide, the foundation, all of our faith and all of our actions. It is to be obeyed. And that, by the way, is a lot of what this chapter is about. Uh, Jesus Christ was giving instructions. In fact, there were the, the word of God was given to these people in many different ways, and it's very clearly even in verses 18, 19, and 20. And here's the truth. We need to believe it and act upon it. By the way, when you believe it, you should act upon it. It's one thing to say, I believe the Bible. It's another to act upon what God has said and, and exercise, if you would, your faith. The word of God needs to be our authority. It needs to be our guide. It needs to be the, the, the thing upon which we rest our life and we base our life upon. The word of God needs to be our authority, our guide, and the foundation of all our faith and actions. It is to be obeyed. A preacher was trying to deal with that situation, deal with the problem of, of people that people have with the word of God. And, and again, I, I do challenge you. I, I do challenge you to read the gospel. You say, well, Easter is over. That's, that's all right. Um, every, every Sunday is Easter. Should be. All right? It's Resurrection Day. It's the first day of the week. That's why we meet on the first day of the week. At least one of the reasons why we meet is because it's the day in which the Lord rose from the dead. Now, part of the reason is because the Jews were meeting on Saturday. They kept stealing that day, and that's because they were still living according to the Old Testament law. So believers needed a time. They were still going to, you know, they were still going to the temple at first. They were going to the temple on Saturday. They went to church two days a week. Can you believe that? And people complain about coming on Sunday mornings. You know, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? But they would go to the temple. They would worship in the temple. Then they would come on the first day of the week, the day the Lord rose, and they'd meet together. And God's people were fed from the Word of God, and they loved the Word of God, and the Word of God was vitally important to their lives. And you see that. You not only see it in each one of the accounts in the Gospels, but you see that in the book of Acts. Because the people gathered together so they could be taught the Word of God. They loved God's Word. It was so important to them. Well, there was a preacher who was trying to deal with that issue, or at least trying to help people to see the importance of the Word in their life. And here's what he said. He said, after the election issue a number of years back, he said this, he said, isn't it amazing that someone can follow six bingo cards at once without missing a thing, but they can't follow a big arrow to a hole on a ballot. That's when they had the hanging chads. You remember that story? Yeah, that, that was back, you say, a few years ago. Yes, 
That's not ancient history, though. All right. So there was this big problem with these ballots and everything else. And the guy says, the preacher said, to our foreign readers, I apologize for once more mentioning our American voting process. He said, it appears that lawyers are insistent on bending laws on the books in order to gain advantage for one candidate or the other. There are specific laws to deal with our election process, but there are those who would prefer to circumvent those laws, and so on and on it goes where it stops, nobody knows. This process, he said, shouldn't surprise Christians who have observed the same process going on in regard to the Bible, the laws of God. Various groups want to circumvent the laws of God or bend them in their direction in order to support their views. This has been going on for centuries, which is why we have so many denominations, cults, and even hate groups trying to use the Bible to support their views. So what should a believer do? For one, avoid extremists. Good advice, isn't it? Second thing is read the word on your own and simply take God at his word. Is that so hard, he asks? God gave you a good brain capable of using common sense. Use it. Instead of bending the word to comply with someone's belief, bend your belief to comply with the word. Is your faith, your faith based on the absolutely true word of God or on feelings, opinions, personal wishes? His word needs to be our guide and authority. And the, the gospel message, the resurrection message, reminds us of that over and over. Jesus Christ with the, the disciples, or the men on the road to Emmaus, he opened their eyes or opened uh, his mouth and he taught them all that the scriptures said about the Christ in the Old Testament. I wish, I really wish that was recorded, don't you? Seriously. Because it would be wonderful to hear from the words of Jesus Christ all the different places in the Old Testament as they walked along the road where you could see him. But we found many of those, and we know many of those, and we could, we could talk about them. The Passover is one place where you see Jesus Christ very clearly revealed. Uh, we see him in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah talked about the, uh, the all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. But Jesus took time to say, this is the word, believe it, follow it, make it your guide. So that's the first, if you would, uh, truth beside believing that God wants us to, to learn from this passage, that the word of God is true. Base your life upon it. Second thing is your work. Not only God's word, but your work or our work. Now, there was a directive given. Look at verse 6 again. He is not here for he is risen, right? We have this wonderful pronouncement. All right. So, great. He's risen from the dead. What are the ladies supposed to do? Well, they weren't left without instruction, right? Look at verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see them, uh, him. Lo, I have told you. And so in verse 8, what do we see? And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. So look, we're challenged in the story about our work. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there was a directive to go tell the disciples of the resurrection given to the women, I understand. But what they did epitomizes how a believer is supposed to act. Isn't it? God's spoken. God's messenger has spoken. 
So what do they do? Uh, you know, it's profound, really, right? But what does it say in verse 8? What do you what do you see there? Yeah, they did it. They did it immediately. They did it. Uh, think about this. Look at um, look at what we see. And they departed. What's the word there? Quickly. quickly. Okay. So they did it immediately. They left quickly. Then notice this. It says they departed quickly from the sepulcher with what? Fear. All right. Second thing is they did it fearfully. That means with a reverence for God and respect for his word and directions that were, was driving them to obey. Third thing you see, look at verse 8. This is a message in itself. How did they do it? With fear and great joy. They were thrilled that they had an opportunity to go share with the men what they had heard and what they had seen and what they had observed and what they had been told to do. And so they did it uh, with immediately, fearfully, joyfully, and, and did run to bring his disciples' word. All right. I, I, you don't understand this. These are these are grown ladies. These are these are grown women. We're, we're not talking about you know teenagers. You say go run and tell someone. Do you see the enthusiasm with which they uh, obeyed the command of the Lord? And isn't there something for us to learn in this? Really, just look at how they did their work for God. They did it fearfully, joyfully, enthusiastically, and I did I miss one of those things, all right? Uh, yeah, they did it immediately, sorry, fearfully, joyfully, and they did it enthusiastically. Look, wouldn't you love it if your children did things that way in life? Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, be, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great? Immediately, fearfully, joyfully, enthusiastically. So do you think there's a lesson for kids to learn from this passage as they look at these women who are told something, uh, given a message from God and given a job by God to do something? And later on, we're going to see that we've got a message from God in verses 18, 19, and 20. So here's a good question for us, adults as well. Are we doing his work immediately, fearfully, joyfully, enthusiastically? You know, it's interesting because a parent wants that from her ki their kids, but we don't ever think about our Heavenly Father wanting that from us. And as I read through the story and started to think about the other things in this story, those verses really stood out to see some ladies who received instruction from God and went about to do it and they're a wonderful example, aren't they? I mean, could you ask for any better way to do that job than to do it the way they did it? So we have his word, our authority, our work done right for the glory of God. Could you say that's how you work for the Lord, that you do it uh, immediately, joyfully, uh, fearfully, uh, and, and enthusiastically? And if I miss something in the list, sorry. All right, the third thing I want you to see in this passage is found in verse 9. Because when they saw Jesus Christ, and, and Jesus called out to them, All hail! They came, they held him by the feet, and what did they do? Okay, so the third W, worship. Worship. 
The risen Lord, who has power over death, is worthy of our worship. What is worship? What is worship? What do we call Sunday morning services? A lot, a lot of churches, if you look at, at when they write, you know, we have Sunday morning worship service, right? Okay. Um, you know that distorts what worship is? Because we end up thinking that worship is gathering together. That worship is singing. That worship is preaching. That worship is activity. But do you know you can come to a worship service and refuse to worship? You can come to a worship service and leave and not having worship, having worshiped at all. And you say, well, pastor, I would never do that because you say the person that's not worshiping isn't singing the songs, right? Or they're not... They're not listening to the preaching or they're not responding to what God's word is being preached and things like that. No, 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 no. Here's the truth. Someone can come and sing the songs and not worship. Come and come, someone can come and listen to the message and not worship. Someone can come and participate in everything that's gone on in a Sunday service and not worship because worship is not something in, in a sense that you do. Worship is a, a state of your heart. You say, what? Let me explain. Do you know what the word worship is, means? They tell us the word worship in our text is made up of two Greek words. See, I always like to, a co compound. You remember, we were, it seemed like for a long time we were saying that almost every time because every word in the Greek seems to be a compound. It's, it, but it is. There's two words that make this up. Okay, the first word means by the side of, or at least one of the words of one of the two. It means by the side of. The second word is of uncertain origin. In other words, they're not absolutely positively sure about this, but it's believed to be the word for, you're going to love this because I was shocked, dog. What? Dog. Yeah, you know, woof, woof. Okay, not kidding. Dog. See, you say, you got to be kidding me. Does that startle you? You say, what could it possibly mean? Okay, the literal word picture would be a dog by the side of his master looking up with intent eyes, if you would, licking his hand, listening and ready to go where the master wants him to go, to do what the master wants him to do. He's just waiting, and he's there. Worship is, is being like a dog, if you would. I don't mean that to be mean, but being like a dog who is totally dedicated to his master and who is humbly listening and ready. When these ladies came, th their picture of worshiping him was that they were totally devoid of self. So they, you know, they're down on their, probably on their, on their faces because that was often how a Jew would worship, if you would. And they were just humbling themselves before this one now that they knew, knew to be raised from the dead. And that is what worship is about. That's why someone can come and sing the songs and not worship. 
They're not just ready and, and, and listening to their master. They're not by his side. They're not, if you would, licking his hand. Do, do, do you get that, that picture? It's an attitude of heart. It says, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. And, and God, I want to honor you and I want to pay you homage. And you are the only one that is important to me. And their act at that very moment was saying that thing. When they saw the Lord, they come and they worshiped him and they bow down before him. You are our Lord. I mean, you would have been saying the same, wouldn't you? If you saw him hanging on the cross and now you saw him in the person three days later. Um, what a challenging thing was, was to look at those words and then ask myself the question, do I worship? Is anyone starting to see that there's a lot more to Matthew 28 to learn? And maybe we would like to admit, or maybe sometimes we would miss. So, um, how is your worship? His word, our authority, our work done right, our worship, reverently bowing before the master, ready and willing to obey, like a dog would look to his master. Number four, witnesses. His witnesses, if you will. Verse 19. I know we skipped some verses. Uh, some of that is what happened with the governors and, uh, and with the soldiers. Uh, and then we have in verse 16, the 11 disciples that went into Galilee to the mountain. And by the way, they worshiped again. So we see that second time. But some even doubted then. And Jesus came and spake unto them. And what did he tell them? He gave them the, what we call the Great Commission. And, and the first challenge is to be his witnesses. The plan of God for Christians is to tell people the good news of the gospel. You realize back in verse 7, the ladies were given that job too? Go tell them he's alive. Go share that message. Go share the news. He is risen. I read recently a, a, a number of years back about a Baptist church. And, and I, by the way, I am not in support of this. But anyway, they got into the Easter egg hunt business, but in a little different way. And I, I wouldn't have done it anyway, but I'm not suggesting it was a good thing. But it makes a point. So listen to the story. The news reports put it this way. Nicole and about 20 of her friends participated in a soul hunt at Lakota Baptist Church. It's in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota. Uh, they meet in a small building on a rundown in a rundown trailer park. Nicole said Easter is all about fun. That was in the newspaper, by the way. That's really great. Uh, it was fun because I was looking and looking so I could get a whole bunch of little men. And then I got one and my mother said it was my brother, so I gave it to him. Well, what happened? Well, here's what happened. Uh, early last Easter morning, this is back a few years ago, church leaders sent out in the churchyard about 100 brightly colored flower and water figures molded into gingerbread shapes, and they were glued to popsicle sticks. When the kids arrived for church or for Sunday school with Easter baskets in hand, they lined up at the end of the church property, um, which wasn't all that big in the trailer park. Anyway, they listened to the instructions, even as their eyes looked for souls that weren't hard to find. The gingerbread shapes were sticking up everywhere. Uh, and so here was the explanation. Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And the children were told that people who love Jesus need to tell everyone he's alive. 
So rather than picking up eggs, they went around and they picked up souls. And every time they picked one up, they were supposed to say, he's alive. It was a real interesting Sunday morning uh, in the church uh, yard and what they were ta- what they were doing. Now, again, I don't know. I, I, well, I know we're not going to do that. So don't even bother thinking about it. Not going to happen. But the point is that these children were at least being taught something, weren't they? That Jesus came and died and was buried and rose again for souls. And they need to hear that he's alive. The ladies were sent with that message, and they did it immediately, fearfully, joyfully, enthusiastically. And so God wants us to be witnesses. This is all around the resurrection story. There's another W. Well, this one really is a stretch. You know, when you try to alliterate, sometimes you get yourself in trouble. So here's the here's the next one. Get wet. <laughs> get wet. You say, that's bad. That's bad. All right, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, go you therefore and teach all nations, verse 19. And then what does he tell you to do? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. All right, get wet. You say, alliteration doesn't always work well. Get baptized. Do you realize that one of the responses that I should have to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just to believe, but then to obey him in the matter of baptism? Every Christian who's been saved needs to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It's an important thing. Those who are part of the family of God have been commanded to be baptized. Now, if you listen to a number of religious groups, and we're not going to take time to share all of them, but, you know, there's a litany of various reasons to be baptized. Some believe that baptism is a sacrament. Do you know what I mean by that? It's it's part of what brings salvation. And so uh, they will baptize. The Roman Catholic Church does this. They baptize infants. By the way, the Lutheran Church does as well, sad to say. And some in the Lutheran Church believe that that's part of their salvation, that that brings part of their salvation. It deals with original sin, according to them. Now look, that is wrong. And that is not what the Bible teaches. And you don't ever find anyone being an infant being baptized. And the reason why is because every time you see people baptized in the Scripture, every time it's after they believe. So someone has to believe before they can be baptized. That is the process, that is the step, and that is what the Bible teaches. But everyone who believes should be baptized. And they should be baptized, they should get wet, as in by immersion, not by sprinkling or any other way, and we don't have time to delve into all that. But the instruction of Jesus Christ here was this, I'm alive, so share that good news with everyone, be a witness, and and tell everyone the good news, and when they accept it, then help them understand that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ ought to get baptized. Not because it saves, not because it makes them any, any better, not because it, um, it takes away sin or does anything of the sort, because Jesus Christ takes away sin by his shed blood. But someone should be baptized because it identifies them with Jesus Christ. It tells everyone around, I have trusted in the risen Lord as my Savior. And that is important.
a boy came into the office of a pastor and said he wanted to be baptized. And the pastor, uh, understandably, wanted to make sure the boy understood, so he said, why do you want to be baptized? And the boy said, in Sunday school, my teacher asked the class uh, who was baptized, and everyone raised their hand. I was the only one who didn't. I want to be baptized too. Well, the pastor was rightfully concerned, wouldn't you be? Does he understand what's going on? Does he understand what's taking place? So the pastor said, do you want to be baptized because everyone else is? And the boy replied, no, I want to be baptized because I want others to know I belong to God. Now, isn't that a great reason? I want others to know I belong to God. And so God gives us this command in a passage where he deals with the resurrection. He says, if you will, get wet. Follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now there's one final message in verse 20. That, um, By the way, often we preach verses 18, 19, and 20. We, we don't even focus on the fact that it comes during this resurrection time. And that this was the first thing that Jesus wanted to instruct them about and told them about. And it deals with our walk. He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, we could have said grow or teach, but then we wouldn't have a W. And, uh, you know, just forbid the fact that we wouldn't have a W. So there you go, our walk. Uh, You know what else we could have said, since we were talking about wet and being silly with that one? How about go to church? I say, what? Go to church? Are you kidding me? No, no. You say, Pastor, how could you even suggest that going to church would be actually the command that Jesus gives here? Well, because that's where we're supposed to learn about him. And if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when you see the church first established, if you would, in the preaching of Pentecost... 3,000 people came to Christ, right? So you read about it. They got saved. Then they got wet. (laughs) They were witnessed to. They got wet. And they began to walk in God's way. And do you know how they did that? By gathering with God's people and being fed the word of God. So you know what? We could have said, go to church. That's part of it grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Um, We could have said, study the word. But the truth is, God has given the church to help God's people become what they need to be for the glory of God. So our walk needs to change. I hope that you see and understand the absolute necessity of the local church in your life. Um. And I am thankful for the attitude many have towards God's house and God's people. But the challenge God gives us in this passage is to walk with him. Learn. Because why? So that we can win people, wet people, get them baptized. And then, (laughs) that sounds really funny, does it? And then help them walk by teaching them what we have learned And quite honestly, by getting them into a local church where they can learn what we have learned 
because we've been under the preaching and teaching of God's word, which was exactly what took place in the early church and with God's people. A preacher told this story. He said, I read somewhere about a French atheist who died, and he willed his firm to the devil. Um, needless to say, that was an unusual will. And it presented an awkward situation that ultimately ended up in court, which isn't surprising. Well, it was decided that the best way to carry out the wishes of the atheist was to do nothing. To allow the farm to grow up in weeds and briars and leave the house to decay and ruin. They concluded the best way to let Satan have it was simply do nothing. And so the preacher said this, the same is true for the Christian. The best way to let Satan have his way is for you to do absolutely nothing. To stagnate in your Christian walk. To ignore the command to grow. That's how you let Satan have his way. It's not that a Christian is doing, uh, you know, going the wrong way. It's that a Christian is going no way. Nowhere. And God tells us to observe all things that he's commanded. Our walk needs to be right. His word, our authority, our work done right, enthusiastically, immediately, fearfully, joyfully, our worship reverently bowing before the master, ready and willing to obey his wishes, his witnesses sharing the good news with all those around us, getting wet to let others know I trust in the death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation, and my walk growing in knowledge so I might follow my Lord and help others do the very same thing. Do you see? that Matthew 28 has a lot more for us than just believe. May we see Matthew 28 as, I think, a wonderful microcosm of the whole New Testament. It really is. In one chapter, we have laid out for us the life of a Christian. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And live it. And may we be challenged on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. May this be a day in which we think of his resurrection and understand that it means far more than just believing. Far more. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity tonight you've given me to open this chapter once again and see uh, numerous things that took place in the early church with God's people that are lessons for us and instructions that you gave to your people that are still ours today to follow. So, Father, I pray that we would be people who live the book, who walk according to it, and who are changed by it. May the resurrection not be just something that causes us to believe, but may the resurrection be something that excites us to serve and grow and be what God would have us to be. And if there are areas in our life that we've talked about tonight, of those listening tonight, this evening, Father, if there are areas in our life that are not in line with what you've asked and what we observe in this chapter, may May we bring ourselves in submission under the word of God and seek to be what you'd have us to be. 
for the glory of God, that his work, that your work might go forward in this world as it desperately is needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you live, Matthew 28. You're dismissed.